Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. I'll have my revenge and Deathstalker, too. Man, I can't fucking believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to, uh, well, we warned you. Well, happy Halloween, boys and ghouls. It's your host at Inside the Sequel, Chris, uh, as always. And you're listening to Inside the Sequel. You know what this is. This is the podcast where we talk about sequel movies that do not get enough love or attention that they deserve. And we've gone through a whole month of spooky films and even spookier guests. Uh, if you're tuned in this far, you were probably curious who that special guest was today. And to, you know, peeling behind the curtain a little bit, uh, we have a director of a previous film that we have covered in the podcast. Again, if you're tuning in for the first time, um, we talked about this film a year ago with Anthony Buziak, a.k.a. Boozy, from the Terror Table podcast. We talked about Hell House LLC 2, the Abendale um, Hotel. And then now, a year later, we are talking with the director of that sequel, along with the original Hell House LLC from 2015. We have Stephen Cognetti. Steven, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Yeah, and thank you so much for coming on, too. On Halloween, I'm scared. I'm getting goosebumps, you know, talking to really cool people who make really cool films on there. It's the um, greatest day of the year. There you go. It is, yeah. So is this like a Christmas month type thing for you, like a holiday like it that? It is. Like, like actually, Halloween the day <clears throat> is a little bit of a letdown because it's kind of like it's bittersweet. <laughs> it's the last day of the season, yeah. and it's like, ah, oh, tomorrow's November. It's going to be November stinks. But so, like, I, I love the buildup to the 31st and the month of October, right? Even in September. I mean, it's just that feel. It's the, the, the it's, it's the, like, the fall, like, the fall has a smell, a look, a feel, everything to it. And it's, and that, I just love the season. I love uh, everything I can do to make horror movies that reside within the season. Um, mm-hmm. And one, we, we didn't shoot anywhere near that season. But we tried to make it seem like it was the Halloween season as much, as close as possible. And uh, and two was the only one that we actually shot in October. Uh, it was actually late October and then went into November though. But um, but one one was uh, you know supposed was you know a Halloween movie, but we shot that in May. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like uh, in one uh, one scene in the first one when you see the people lining up outside to enter it, I was like I'm getting the chills of like waiting outside a haunted house in like yeah. October. Um, you know, I'm 26 now, but I can remember my college days, like getting lined up with people to get scared. And it's like, that's like, that's like peak, like human existence. Like, it's like right there, get ready to go into a haunted house and getting scared. And you know, you're going to get scared. But for me, the older I get, the more I'm impressed with haunted houses. It's more like that is smart or that is scary. There was a lot of work put on that. And that's awesome. Yeah. And they do the the actual haunted house we shot in the Waldorf State of Fear is run by uh, Angie Moyer. Uh, 
who was such a, you know, just an amazing uh, a partner uh, on the films though. But <clears throat> her haunt is fantastic. And I always try to get down there once every, every uh, October and uh, her haunt just keeps on getting better and better. And it's just, you know, she gets great crowds out there and it's just so much fun. Yeah, that, that it has that line, just like <laughs> Hell House. It has that line right under that uh, uh, canopy and people just waiting to get in in the front door there. And it's, it's so much fun. I always I tell anybody I talk to, anybody's in the area, anywhere around Pennsylvania, gotta get to the, the Waldorf for State of Fear. That is cool. That is something I think people need to put on. I feel like a lot of times in October, people have like these rituals or like this yeah. thing they want to do or go to a specific place. For me growing up, it was the pumpkin patch and the older I got, it was like a haunted hayride. And then I think the next thing I want to do is like go to, I live in Chicago. So I'm thinking like an abandoned apartment building or something like that, or a business building where it's yeah. just like, it looks like it's ran by Rob Zombie or something like that, or a heavy metal band. And it's like, the actors are like really graphic and it's like an abandoned jail. They're like, you're going to get scared and stuff like yeah. that. It's like, that's the next step. But also the part of me is like, that doesn't seem as fun, more or less terrifying in 2022. Well, yeah. Just, I mean like, uh, so you're saying when you start at an abandoned place, like a place that's like, they have something going on within it and it's abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. But the better thing to do is just find, you know, uh, dare yourself to go into some old spooky abandoned place where no one's there and just go into it. Um, that's like, I haven't, I don't do that myself. I don't <laughs> that. I love the idea of it. And <laughs> abandoned buildings, houses are like my favorite thing in the world. I was, and that's what Hell House kind of like based on like finding an abandoned location. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea of like that spooky old building and just like, I'm going to wander into this one, <laughs> one day. Awesome. Not, never at night, but during the day. <laughs> okay. I was going to say like, yeah, it's like at night, it's like, that's like um, a trespassing yeah. charge and possibly my life at stake right there. Probably your but life. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you know, Steven, you're the, the first guest um, on the podcast here. It's your first time. And like per tradition, I always have to ask first time guests. Um, you know, I know you've done three films now um, from Hell House, but like, are there any other sequel movies in your past? It doesn't have to be horror, but is there any like yeah. sequels in the past where that, that stand out to you? Like, would say like, you know, this movie I kind of wear on my sleeve. I kind of championed a little bit in my circles of like film discussions, because like, if you like film, you probably have people you talk to about film and you go, you kind of talk about those and go, you know what? This one kind of stands out for me. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, Mannequin 2 on the move. No, I'm kidding. Uh, oh my goodness. Like, is that, were you going to say like male violent, like two or three that's recently come out too? Is that your thing? Yeah, yeah. No, but no, actually, now that I said that as a joke, I do remember growing up, Mannequin, I, we had HBO. And uh, oh. I remember, so yeah, it was crazy. Like all, <laughs> all my friends want to come over to my house because we had like <laughs> HBO in like the 80s and the 90s. You could see like anything. And there you Mannequin, go. Mannequin 2 had a run. And um, that was that was a lot of fun. But uh, no, I, I, when it comes to sequels, I, off the bat, uh, there's you know disappointments and there's and there's uh, better ones though. But uh, you know you know I'm a, I'm a huge um, uh, I'm a huge James Cameron fan, and I think that uh, T2 is such a great movie and sequel. It's like one of those few rare movies where it's just light years um above what the original was and and that's what i love about you I, I know some it's so cliche so people hate james cameron because he's like oh my god and avatar also i get it i get it though but like he always you know just pushes boundaries and he did that in the 90s and and i think a lot of cinema uh big holly you know big blockbuster cinema is due to a lot of boundaries that he pushed early on and and so like i respect that about uh him because uh, I think when it comes to CGI and everything like that, like it, it was all him doing early stuff like the abyss, like doing the water um, thing it, it through. Uh, and the abyss, I mean, like I cannot believe 
filmmaking, there's filmmaking, <laughs> and then there's him spending an entire day at the bottom of a giant, uh, you know, manufactured lake um, of water, uh, and you know, filming all day long, and they had to depressurize. Like, like I can't like the, the things they do like like, I, <laughs> like that high end of film is just filmmaking is, is amazing. So I always like I, I always like I had when I was growing up I always appreciation of him, and I think like uh, when I was like making like early films like you know just like with like a home uh, camera back in like the uh, late uh, 80s early 90s and mid 90s I was I always was thinking about things that like Cameron did and uh, uh, the Abyss and. Uh, and uh and terminator are always up there and terminator and terminator 2 is just an amazing sequel and you don't mm -hmm. see that these days and it's really tough to do which makes me think about like what's going to happen with avatar um i love the whole idea of like they're doing the whole planet thing again but it's mm -hmm. going to be all water and it's going to be an yep. ocean and stuff like that and like how do you do the how do you recreate that but do it with water and ocean i think it's gonna and i'm excited to, to see that whenever that comes out yeah you nailed it right of the head like uh james cameron is a guy who does, has done like maybe some of the best work in cinema and it's like it's almost like he's too he's like too good to like and it's easier to hate it's, and it's, like it's criticize more, it's more it's yeah it's more trendy and edgy to bash than like to be like oh champions you know whatever but i i unapologetically love him and uh i'm, I'm a huge history buff and ever and when they discovered the titanic wreck in 86 Mm -hmm. I have been since I was a little kid obsessed with the Titanic. So then, of course, when he comes out with the movie, that was like, you know, that was like, ah, this is the best. Yeah, <laughs> I love Titanic. Yeah, yeah, and I love Titanic because it was like the first VHS that I ever saw that had more than one tape for the right. movie. <laughs> and I was like, ah, was that a thing? And then yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, that's why. And uh, <laughs> oh man, with Avatar two, I think once that trailer dropped, I felt like that shut a lot of people's mouths. I think they were like, oh crap he's legit with this like i think it's the meme of it all like d like him talking about doing avatar 3 4 and 5 and yeah. you know whatever basically uh, a fast and furious trilogy of avatar movies before even the second one's been announced and uh right yeah i'm excited for it and t2 oh 100 is fun also he gave us edward furlong and without edward furlong in that movie yeah. i wouldn't have gotten pet cemetery 2 which i'm a yeah. huge fan of as well that's right <laughs> and that's a yeah pet cemetery 2 that's that's also uh getting back to the horror genre that was a a movie i think that was another like one that i saw on hbo when it came out and what i bet it was was that, like, <laughs> was that mid 90s was that like 95 6 something like that? it's like 94 i think okay I'll yeah. look at my screen factory, but I'm too ashamed to admit that I have a screen factory. I just anybody who listens to this are huge boutique label nerds, and I love them. But uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well that's awesome. It's not you know you're a okay in my book, Steve. You got like really good solid two solid picks right there. You said you like Pet Cemetery too, 100. Yeah, percent You're yeah. already right. uh, we're we're in the green, and then you say T2, right. I'm like yeah, you know Chef's Kiss right there. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, what about, so it sounds like you had like HBO Max, you know, that's pretty cool. I probably yeah. would have hung out with you. I'm guessing you probably had Mortal Kombat on like a Dreamcast and like the kid, all the guys that were going over there to play games uh, is what it sounds like the type of house. Yeah, but when we played Mortal Kombat, what was that? That was uh, like, when I was a kid, that was a uh, uh, Sega Genesis. Uh, oh, the Genesis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like it's a house like that's like you know all the cool stuff was there. Uh, what about other movies like you talked about in the '90s and then maybe in like early 2000s? Were there like a lot of? It sounds like you were doing short films. Were there things that like inspired you to like, you know, create? Like, do you can think of like some movies in specific where like, wow, I need to like get into this kind of like line of work. I'd love to do like a movie. Like, I think as kids we think like making movies are fun. Yeah. But like, where are the movies where you're like, I actually want to try and do that. You know, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to make films. So, uh, awesome. uh, so I was a, you know, a kid growing up in the eighties 
I, I wanted to make movies, um, you know, always dreamed of doing it, but then I started really trying to make them on my own after I saw, um, uh, after I saw Jurassic Park, actually, in 93. Yeah. And that's when I, I, that's when I really got my, <laughs> my parents' handy cam out and started just like trying to make the cheesiest, worst special effects myself. <laughs> and, uh, and just made terrible stuff. And, that, and that's the best thing about uh, trying to be a filmmaker is make, you know, getting all the awful out early and, and quick and, early. And, <laughs> and, 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 but even when you're older and trying to make films and uh, in film school and out of film school, it's just great to just shoot anything, no matter how bad it is. And that's how, that's how you learn though. So I, it, it, and I never really, really got to make anything real until I got to film school though, but I was always trying as a little kid, but I mean, in terms of movies that inspired me. Yeah. I mean, like I think uh, growing up in the eighties and, and early nineties, uh, you know, I mean, th I think Spielberg was Spielberg and that's when he was making those classics and that, and that's mm -hmm. like filmmaking became like such like a, a huge, you know, thing to like, it made, it was like the Tiger Woods for little kids was, uh, mm. was, was Spielberg in the, in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, I, I mean, probably not so much as now though, but, but now like everybody's got a different director and there's so many, you know, amazing directors now. It's just, by the time it was just like, it was like, you know, it was Lucas, it was Spielberg and a few others, and, you know, Coppola. And, um, but, uh, but, but the Spielberg had the big Hollywood, you know, the, the big spectacle movies. And so I think like, I think anybody grew up in the eighties and became a filmmaker, I had to have had some inspiration for what they were seeing, uh, and, you know, in, in the big blockbusters that Spielberg's, but because they're classics, they're, they're yeah. family movies that are classics, and like there's so much fun to watch. And I always admire him for a filmmaker because he's not a writer; he's just he just directs the scripts. But he's just like his coverage of things, or he's just amazing filmmaker, and how he covers the hell out of everything. I just like I was like studying his, his shots and like how everything he does. Um, uh, War of the Worlds, I mm -hmm. so amazingly like just beautifully shot. You know, to, and it made it made it a step different, just like a regular cheesy sci-fi alien invasion movie. Just it, it was just like a cinematic masterpiece the way it was shot. And you know, of course, you throw T. Cruz in there. I mean, you can't go wrong. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think uh, that was just a uh, grown up and early inspiration was um, was definitely Spielberg films, and that's really what made me start trying myself to to make movies but they're they were all them <laughs> was so you ended up going on i mean your big stuff in 2015 you do house llc yeah. were there like any like horror movies like that you kind of were like implementing or things that like you know i saw this movie growing up you know maybe you weren't the biggest horror movie fan or maybe you were yeah. were there certain horror movies that you grew up where you're like i like to like do right with my movies, with that, those kind of movies. You know what I mean? When I watch Hell House LLC, I see nothing but love for horror and just like the idea of like creating cool things and pay homage to the Halloween gods in that movie. It's just such yeah, a- Yeah, and absolutely. So when it comes to horror, um, when I was a little kid and it stuck with me my entire life and still I make movies, I, I base it on on this movie, but it's for me, nothing, nothing gets better than The Exorcist. Oh wow! And I, th okay. I think that's the greatest horror movie ever made. I think it holds up today, and I don't think it's been beat ever. Has been beaten or will be beaten. But um, uh, so I really, I mean, I think that inspires me the most in my writing. And I always try to make scares, and I always try to do things that are just as subtle as the Exorcist. Exorcist is so terrifying without anyone, you know, chasing you or screaming, going, jumping out of claws and going boo. It's mm -hmm. just a look um it's just everything that's on camera but just like subtly on camera and um yeah and uh it's uh um so i and so that's the thing i was actually when i we, whenever we get to set for a new film um 
especially my latest film, which is a, my first non found footage film, 8254 Forest Road. It's coming out sometime in 2023. But um, mm -hmm. like whenever I get everyone together, I always say the, the, the height of scare is the height of terrifying is The Exorcist. And when we go into this film, let's try to reach that. And I always set that as a bar, knowing that we'll never reach that bar. Because to me, that's like, you know, but I always like setting that bar high because even if you come miserably short of that bar, you're still going to yeah. pay for the horror film. And so that's what I always set our bar at. And um, and, I, and I did that with um, with uh, Hell House. And, and I just wanted to get scares on that level. And you, as, if you get if you get to get a little close to uh, The Exorcist, I think you're going to have a good horror film on your hands, even if you're still far short than what they achieved. And I, I think everything that uh, Friedkin did uh, Friedkin did on that uh, film was just brilliant. So, so yeah, I think that's the biggest uh, inspiration. That's awesome. You know, I recently rewatched uh, re The Exorcist, and I remember the very first time I watched it. I wasn't like a kid when I watched it. I watched it when I was like 18, and it was something like I felt like I had to – it was like a rite of passage type of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, the big thing with me, and I'm sure people, listeners know, they, they know. For me, I was a kid in high school who, instead of going to parties and, you know, you know, talking to girls besides, you know, having the courage to talk to girls, it was like, I'm going to family video on Friday nights. I'm getting Little Caesars pizza, and I'm renting anything at the family video shelves that I can get my hands on. And it's like I see The Exorcist. I see these other types of, like, prestige – in my mind, prestige horror movies that are, like, iconic. And it's like I'm not watching those until I, I – I get like, you know, get my wings, I guess to say, you know, it's like I'm watching some of these straight to DVDs and, and like, you know, these sequel movies of like original works. Like I was watching Pumpkinhead 2 that I still don't even remember Pumpkinhead 2 before I watched Pumpkinhead. You know, I was watching all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, sequels, because, you know, I stumbled upon Nightmare on Elm Street and then I just love the franchise after. But like, I think it kind of helped me and appreciate when I got to these, you know, almost like, you know, I, how do I say like such iconic horror movies and then I have a love and appreciation for them. But then I think, I don't think I would have appreciated them more if I didn't watch like, you know, unknown, almost, almost unknown people's works, you know, those straight to family video horror movies, those yeah. straight to DVDs. And it's like, those are people who love horror movies and are putting, you know, their time and money and other people's work and effort into that. And like, you know, for some sort of pl pl uh, pleasure viewing. And it's like, it kind of elevates those movies, but it kind of gives you an appreciation more for like the genre. Yeah. And that's why I love those movies. And with the exorcist, I think, I don't know. I'm so, cause I'm such a history guy. And obviously with social studies, it's like, um, <laughs> I love to hear movie. I like to think about movies in terms of like stories and like eras. And it's like, I think universal monsters gives way to like, you know, the forties, fifties, where there's like a lot of war movies because world war two obviously was scary. And then in the fifties, you get the nuclear um, arms race, you know, big monster and sci-fi movies, which I love. And then you get the 60s with like the hammer and like you start to get romance and violence in movies. Mm -hmm. And then The Exorcist comes out and then that's like a complete just like yeah. balls to the wall horror movie. And it's made by a prestige director. You know, it's like I get Vincent. I love Vincent Price and the Roger Corman movies and stuff like that. But then you get William Franken who did like French Connection right before that. And then Oscar nominated a director. And then he's going on and he's doing this. Um, I think is insane, and I think it sets a precedent later on um, yeah. for other like you talk about Spielberg. Spielberg did Jaws first. That's a horror movie, yeah. and then he goes on and starts doing these more prestigious things. And I think it became like a rite of passage to do horror movies, and I love that trend where it's like horror. The horror genre is kind of like the stepping stone. It's kind of like the yeah. like the rite yeah. of passage now for movies, and I think that's so cool. And for you, 
you know, talking about you love Spielberg and then like, you know, the exorcist thing, I was like, oh, that, that works perfectly. That sounds like exactly how it should be almost in some way. It's like, I don't love Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings unless, you know, you watch his early like Australian horror movies and then realize Smeagol's scary as hell. Those ring rings are scary. And you wouldn't think that unless he did those movies. Um, that's awesome. Um, but I guess like hell is a theme though. And, and so I, I think, I think that's a fun theme in all of, um, horror. And I think, I think that I've always been drawn to that, like the idea of hell and, um, yes. the idea, because it's, it's just a very scary concept, whether you believe it or not, you know, um, uh, and, mo- and most people don't, but it's just like, but what if, and if there is that there. So I think that's what the, the exorcist kind of brings that out. And another film that I loved so much, and I think this is what's late 90s, early 2000s, that it really explores this idea of hell, um, is, uh, uh, oh, no, it was just in my head a second ago. Um, what's the, what's the, uh, the movie with uh, Sam Neill in space? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's... Um... Event Horizon. Event Horizon, yeah. I don't know why that blanked on that, though. That Paul W.S. Anderson film. Yeah, that film was so terrifying. And it's the idea of, like, of like if something went to hell and came back, what like what would be on this ship? Mm-hmm. And it's such a cool concept. And, and so, like, I think, like, that's a lot of inspiration for me is, like, crossing into the, another realm and and coming back and and then what what does that entail and and so and i just think that's such they they did such a great uh job with that film and you know horror in space you know i hadn't you know i hadn't really done and that level like more paranormal uh in and you know obviously there's been horror in space you know, with alien but um so i just thought it was just a new way of doing it though and that's i thought that was such a terrifying movie so man you must be a huge fan of jurassic park because you're talking about sam neill and then you're talking about jurassic park earlier and now you're talking about his horror <laughs> movies after that i mean it's really hard <laughs> not to love Hill, but, uh... you're gonna hate me if you listen to my earlier episodes about uh steven spielberg i love the guy um i didn't watch jurassic park until like <laughs> before fallen kingdom came out <laughs> Really? What, what what kept you away from it? You know, I just, I never got, I, I don't know, it just was never, you know, a movie that's so popular. It just wasn't accessible. It's because my, you know, my dumbass, I was renting Return of the King, or not Return of the King, I was, re- was re- renting Godzilla 98 and Return of the Jedi very often growing up, and then watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and then after that I was renting Alien and Aliens, because those movies to me were the most awesome, scary oh. things ever, um, and then I don't know. I'm just a habit of rotation. Um, no, I get that. I think there's a, there's a comfort level in that too. I like going to familiar things a lot too. And uh, yeah, and that's why I love sequels. It's just like, you know, it's kind of like this one isn't as good as the first one in some ways. And sometimes they actually are better. Yeah. So I get the best of both worlds that way. Um, and so I rewatch those because in my weird mind, I think if I watch Nightmare on Elm Street, if I watch Halloween 78, or if I watch um, The Godfather 1, you know, way too many times, I'm going to start to like, uh, okay, I'm starting to see more flaws than things I love in it. And then I'm going to start criticizing yeah. or critiquing it more. And I don't want to do that with those type of movies. And with sequel movies, I thought maybe that I would get the opposite. I would find more things I like about them. But then I started to realize, oh, now I'm just comparing it to the first one and th- finding things in the second ones that I like more than the first and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, I'm a creature of habit that way <laughs> growing up. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, then, you know, I, I like Steven Spielberg's works and, um, 
I'm infamously the kid who his senior year of high school was sneaking watching Schindler's List on his portable DVD player at night so his mom wouldn't catch him staying up late <laughs> past 9 p.m. Uh, why was Schindler's List? I have no idea, but it was. Uh, heavy stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But then I watched Ready Player One, and I really like Ready Player One. And I know a lot of people, I get yeah. flack from people on that, but it's like I kind of just like how he's homaging so many, like, you know, I can't think of a better word other than nerd culture things. Um, obviously like we just talked, like you see action figures behind me and stuff like that. And I, you know, love video games. I love the comics and stuff growing up too. And like ready player one feels like a validation piece almost yeah. in a way. It's like these nerdy things that I love and these sure. little things. Um, and that's what ready player one kind of is, but like watching Jurassic park, I definitely have come around and love watching, um, like dinosaurs on screen. For some reason I thought dinosaurs weren't cool, but now, as I get older, I'm like, yeah, dinosaurs are freaking cool. And then I think also like, oh, the Lost World's kind of fun because it takes things from other horror movies. And then, you know, it's also just a Jurassic Park movie as well. The Lost, yeah, well, actually, the Lost World was, um, it was a very big letdown for me. Uh, <laughs> and it's only because, um, uh, so when it comes to, when it comes to movies, sometimes I read, I see the movie first, then I have to say, oh, I have to go back and read the book now that I've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jurassic Park was one of those things. Like, I never read Jurassic Park. Saw the movie. This is awesome. I'm gonna read the book now. And then Lost World was different. Once the sequel came out to Jurassic Park: Lost World, Michael Crichton, yep. I was like, oh, like I'm gonna obviously read the book, not wait for the movie to come out. And then I so I did that. So I did reverse. And then when the movie came out, it's like, oh, the huge disappointment because the story in the book was just so much better. The movie was I hear. shot awesome. I mean, the movie was amazing. It's, but I just didn't like the story. I thought they tried to do to like you know T Rex lives in San Diego. I'm like that's, <laughs> that's really. King Kong at that point. Exactly. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. You're and, and I think that's exactly what they're <laughs> trying to do. Just make a, a modern day uh, take on that. But uh, so that was a huge disappointment, just because I just said like like you had a great story, you had a great novel, just you know adapt that better to the screen, and instead they just kind of like went there a whole different way. It's funny like they took pieces pieces in in the movie and lost world the movie there are pieces from the original book that they yeah. adapted into that movie you know that like they left out of the original uh movie so it's just like there was just, like, fun uh, it was weird yeah i mean yeah the whole opening where that girl gets attacked by the the tiny gal is on the island and everything like that uh-huh. like, that's one of the earliest uh chapters of um Jurassic park the original book wow where, like there's these strange attacks going on like tourists were getting like like attacked by these and nobody knew what was going on and and then Indian was trying to keep it under wraps about like you know some of their dinosaurs that escaped some of the small ones and 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 then and then we get into the whole story right but that that was like the opening to the book and they brought that to the opening of the sequel movie uh uh-huh. So, but uh, yeah, no, that was a, that was a big uh, letdown just from a story standpoint. But I mean, it was, it, but it had so many amazing scenes. I love the scenes with the raptors and everything, the tall grass, and mm-hmm. I, I thought those those are amazing uh, things yeah. that they did in that film. Yeah, no, I, I I hear those books are circulating where people are actually coming out and saying like you know on YouTube and TikToks and stuff like that. Like I don't know, go go read the Jurassic Park books. They're actually amazing. No, they are they're fantastic stories, and like and, and Michael Crichton was uh, you know uh, rest in peace, a amazing author, um, and gone too soon. But uh, and those those two books were amazing. Um, he he wrote um, also speaking of uh, this is a little divergent on that we're speaking about Michael Crichton. He wrote Sphere. And I don't know if you remember Sphere, but he had a movie too with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie is actually pretty good. That was a uh, was that Lawrence Castan uh, who directed it? No, um, no, Barry Levinson. Uh, yes, it was Barry Levinson. And 
that movie was actually pretty good though but the book itself is like it's spooky and it's like it's it's a little it's it's because like all these weird things are happening to them while they're they're trapped on this underwater habitat like um yeah researching this what they think is an alien vessel mm-hmm. and it was a very like it was one of it was different from michael crying because like you can read it and get the chills because of what's happening to them and 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 it's a little on the sci-fi side too but it was, it was like the only book of his where it's a little bit more of like uh they wouldn't call it horror obviously it's more of a sci-fi book like most of it is though but it does have a few scenes where you, you get spooked and the movie did a good job but the thing is with Michael Crichton, his books are so good and superior to everything that will be on screen, no matter what. Even Jurassic Park, the original, is an amazing film. It will go down as, you know, legend of all time, stand up to everything. But that book, nothing beats it. And it's so worth going out and going back and re and reading these original stories by the authors. And it's just incredible. I always recommend that to people. Oh, uh, you know, you're the first person I know that's actually seen Sphere. I thought I was one of the only people that I know that <laughs> have watched that movie. And I watched it when I was trying to do be a Dustin yeah. Hoffman completionist too. <laughs> so that, yeah, shut that up. It was up. right. Sphere was, uh, Sphere was, I think they did a great job with that. They, um, you know, like that underwater claustrophobic things and weird things. Mm-hmm. Are happening. And one thing that didn't, I'll tell you this, um, uh, they did like, if you, cause you know the story. So I could tell you, it might mean something, but one of the spookier scenes in the books was that someone, a, a man was walking through the habitat and he found Dustin Hoffman's character or something like that. And he's yeah. like, uh, he's like, Hey, and Dustin Hoffman's like, Oh, are you must be from the Navy? That means we're saved. I'm going to go out of here. And he's like the Navy, sir. And he's like, no, you're from the Navy. Right. He's like, I don't understand, sir. And he's like, well, you're the only one here. You must be from there. I'm going to go get everyone up. Runs off, gets Samuel Jackson's character, gets up. Yeah. They come back and, and the guy's gone. Nowhere to be seen. And, and it was, and it was a, an aberration created by the, you know, the, someone's mind, mm-hmm. but he was, but he actually appeared and he was on the video screen. So he was actually able to go back and like watch the video. He was like, there was someone on this habitat with us. I promise <laughs> you walking around and like, and that's like a, spooky eerie thing that you're on this trapped at the bottom of the ocean's habitat and there was mm-hmm. someone else down there with you <laughs> yeah yeah when you get into things like isolation like that that's always what works for me i mean i mean ridley scott obviously it like like mastermind that yeah. yeah um yeah i love sci-fi horror i love like those isolation like in a different out, out otherworldly um settings of horror is always I mean, that's, like, yeah that's like horror when like if you ever read like a book of like how to write a horror film it's always like make them trap somewhere <laughs> <laughs> uh well speaking of horror um it's halloween it's october yeah you know, Steve, do you have like any sort of like um, a lot of people, it sounds like on Twitter, which I know you're on too. Maybe you see them. A lot of people do like a 31 days of horror challenge or yeah. they have like rituals and like, you know, m- you know, annual watches or something like that or challenges during October. Do you have anything like that? I know for me, it's usually, you know, you watch Halloween four. Mm-hmm. Um, like at the end of September and then you watch it, you know, to kick off, kick off your October because that opening is so good. It gives you just peak October. Yeah. Uh, and I do love any film that really gets the season and just, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, it's the season to just, it has a, it has a, a look, a touch, a smell, a taste of everything. It's everything about the season. I love. <laughs> um, and I think for me, like I, I, I don't, I don't have a ritual on this, but I always try to do it every Halloween that I can. Um, is I like to, I always like to watch trick or treat. I think that which one? Because there's now there's a few trick. Is it the anthology trick yeah, or treat? Yeah, yeah, and I think okay. I think all those stories are just badass, and they're they're mm-hmm. so 
in the season. Uh, they do such a great job with just, just making it, uh, you know, and obviously the, the Halloween films do a great job of that too. But um, I was, I was, I always thought that it's trick or treats. It's like, it's just a fun story. That's like so oozing with Halloween spirits. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it has Brian Cox and you know what Brian Cox for me is like our like Dick Miller of like the eighties and nineties, just like that character or the actor that's like insert in, in, he can be in small little parts in movies and that you remember growing up and like, you just kind of enjoy seeing his presence and now he's blowing up. That was the big thing for me was Brian Cox and trick or treat. Yeah. And that werewolf segment in that movie. Oh my God. That is uh, amazing stuff in that movie. Um, it really is. I, and so, yeah. I, yeah. And then that's a great, I mean, <laughs> for the season, I mean, that's the thing, like films in October, you want to, there's a different kind of horror. There's a horror that's like of the, of the season and a horror that's not though. So I mean, and, and any kind of horror that is based in the season, I, I love, I just gravitate to. Um, and I think there's, there's films that are just like, um, they don't mean to be, but they are. Uh, I don't think there's, there's meant to be uh, uh, October uh, films, but I, so I would say like just recently, I just watched uh, Deadstream on uh, Shutter, uh, which is a new found footage film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that doesn't, set itself out to be a you know a fall halloween season um film but it has the feel of it just because like just you know when you see his outdoor scenes and and he's breathing and you see the the uh you know the the fog coming out of his out of his mouth and you just know it's it just has the feel of like a crisp october night when he goes into that <laughs> that, uh, that that abandoned house and sets up it just seems like if i were going to an abandoned house and like the, everything that the set i mean the, the set design everything they did in that film was great it just feels like going to an abandoned house in a you know in a, in a late october night um but it doesn't mean to be that but it feels that way so you know what i mean oh no i totally agree whoops there you go. I totally agree. But here's the thing. Um, I think anthology horrors hit so much in October. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I think it's like, you know, when you're in October. Like you, the VHS is the new uh, VHS, uh, was it, 99? 99, uh, yeah. yeah. VHS and just like Shudder in general has, it's like, they play it around October. I know they do. Like, oh, they're, yeah, they're, absolutely. And I, I love their uh, gulags too. I think their gulags mm-hmm. are so much fun. I swear it must be, I, I must be living at a golden age of horror because like I, I go around everywhere and I see some sort of promo on TV, on streaming services, or even like little billboards, like in coffee shops, like the 101, like scariest, uh, movie moments of all time and exclusively on Shutter and stuff like that. Um, and I, so I live in Chicago and I, I live right by the music box theater as well at the historic music box theater. And I recently just watched for the first time Nosferatu. And what they did is they had a live band perform the score for the entire movie while you watched it. And it was presented by Shudder. It was, you know, people from Shudder were there to talk about that stuff. And it was oh, so was, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and they were talking about, like, some other stuff in their streaming service. And I was just like, Shudder is, like, hitting – like, they're challenging. Like, they're, I know they're trying to be, like, a bigger streaming service because I feel like Shudder is, like, you have it for September and October maybe. Yeah. And then most people usually, like, drop it for a couple months. Um, but I'm just thinking, like – they're doing more than just putting out movies. They're putting out like programs, you know what I mean? And I think, imagine if like HBO Max and like these ne- and Netflix and stuff like that. They, you know, I love talking about the, cause I'm a big physical media guy. You talk about like streaming services too, which I love like the, the, the quickness and the convenience of that. But it's like, 
you know, if you're put on a streaming service, like, you know, lists and like almost like YouTube, like material stuff that I would go and watch and like essays. And I'm like, wow, like that's some good stuff right there. What are they going to have you on to talk about the found footage? Um, I feel like it's the, the rise of fine found footage films again. I mean, um, you talk about like 2015 in your movie. I can't think of too many found footage movies that were really a big deal besides maybe wreck and then maybe early paranormal activity movies. But when your movie yeah. came out, Wreck um, is great. Yeah. Um, but like when I saw your movie, I watched your movie for, for uh, you know, first two movies for the first time a year ago. And I was like, where the heck was I in 2015? Well, I just graduated high school a year. Sure. Prior, but well, like, yeah. And also our, our films, they actually, they, they gained momentum over the years. They were never like overnight known uh project they they gained a following and word of mouth and it took years uh i think probably two or three years after they were released before people really were start talking about hell house but um but then but then, you know that's that's the that's what it's like being indie no budget film makers <laughs> you know you just you you hope that you get an audience but it's all that audience is always going to grow slowly because you're never going to have this huge marketing campaign <laughs> like, you know, like, um, it's like smile just had like we're never we don't have anyone in the baseball world series uh you know <laughs> um you know but uh um yeah no found footage uh is, is a genre i've always loved and i think i love it just because it because it, it makes uh, found footage scare feels more real than anything else so it's just i think mm-hmm. it's just so you know and i so i actually one of the earliest i know i i think blair witch is fantastic and you know my my uh I think they're the kings uh, because I think they did it perfectly and they didn't show too much and every there's they they scared you with the unknown. Um, but for Hell House, I was uh, I was really inspired uh, to go the doc route because of a uh, really um, great found footage film out of Australia that I love. It's called um, Lake Mungo. Yeah, that movie is synonymous with the, just the genre in general. I still yeah. need to see it. I still need to see it. It's, it's great. It's, 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 it's just, it's shot like a straight documentary, not really found footage, more just like a straight doc. And it feels so real. Uh, it, it's just like, it, it's I, 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 what they did with that movie. I think is is amazing. And then when I was, when I was formulating, Hell House and like how to present it. I've always wanted to. I love like Dateline NBCs and like you know all that, all, that, all this stuff. Like forty eight hours, like um, uh, mysteries. So I always wanted to style it like that. And then I remember when I was watched Lake Mongo, I was like, you know, they did a, they did a great job, and that really inspired me. I'm like, you can make a doc scary, uh, a fa- you know, fake foul doc. And oh yeah. Um, and so that's they really when I saw uh, Lake Mongo, I was like, I knew I was like, it's docs. This can work. Um, I'm gonna do, I'm going the doc style. Uh, they did it great, and um, and so that's why I kept it to that model. And it was yeah, I always when I was always describing to people, I was like, yeah, it's it's a it's Dateline but with ghosts, you know, instead of like you know missing, you know, someone murdered someone. It's like they're mm-hmm. you know it's paranormal. So yeah, I feel like your film in 2015. I feel like there was two different options. It was like you watched the the. The POV documentary found footage films, but they were almost like studio films. Yeah. Um, like with paranormal activity. Like that's really what it was. And we see that today with like a lot of horror. You know, you think about the conjuring and the the insidious movies, you know, those have a great following, but like those are studio exec films. You know what I mean? Those are put out in franchise and stuff. And that's why people love the A24 stuff now. You know, the quote unquote elevated slow burn horror. You get the reprise of that. And I felt like um in the late twenty tens 
or early 2010s, it was like, you know, you get the paranormal activity just dominating. And then you get quarantine, which is, you know, taking off from yep. the foreign film aspects of Wreck. And you talked about Lake M- uh, Mungo. Um, you know, like these almost like, you know, offshores type of found footage movies, um, a big Scandinavian, you know, scene going on during that time as well. And then your movie comes out and it kind of mixes both things, but it's so, it's so easy. It's a simple premise, your film. Yeah. And, uh, but it feels like the, it's like kind of like one of the first to kind of mix like the, like the, like almost like the amateur POV kind of, you know, spice of it, but like, it feels authentic as well, which is awesome. It's like something if you watch like WNUF, like, you know, like that Halloween special through, you know, yeah. Vinegar Syndrome. Um, but obviously that's like acted out and stuff like that. But your film, when I was watching, it was like, wow, these are just people who like love Halloween and like um, and are just documenting everything. And it's like that's what was kind of like always missing with like the paranormal activity, well, or, like the quarantine stuff. I think it's like, also about like uh, for me going into Real House, I always knew that the biggest thing I wanted to do, which a lot of found footage of the time have done is explain why we're watching the film. Why are, why are we the audience seeing this? And to me, it only made sense if we explained that this is a finished documentary edited. The found footage was found by someone, but not just presented as raw footage that we're watching. It was edited. And we're seeing what an editor, professional editor, selected as part of the documentary to present to the audience. Um, so it is a completed film. It's not just raw found footage. Like, this footage was found. This is like, this is the last thing that was found. And then we see, then we just see this footage. We don't know how we're seeing, we don't know why there's cut points and everything like that. What I'm trying to explain is that like, there's cut points here or there. It's it's told in a narrative from an, an, an editor standpoint. So someone who's making a documentary, if a real documentary filmmaker got that footage, how would they present it to an audience and how would they cut it up? And that's, it's from that angle, instead of just like, here's footage we found and we're going to show it to you, all right? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of see that, like, with, like, you know, Ty West X. You know, the opening is them finding the camera and stuff like that. And then they go and show you the whole movie. Now, that's not POV, but they kind of, you know, yeah. have that pretense in there. Um, and that's what Hell House LLC 2 kind of was. You talk about the Dateline stuff that you like. I kind of – I'm a big fan of that in the opening, talk having, like, the people defend the LL, you know, like, the found footage and saying, like, you know, it was a prank and stuff like that. I really enjoyed those segments. I thought that was kind of like a fun little commentary uh, of the time. And also, like, I just think it's like, you know, these found footage films, I, I kind of missed that little part of like trying to attach itself to the real world in some ways. And like, it kind of felt satire, but also like grounded. And I was like, oh, that's really fun. I really enjoy that. And it's actually entertaining too. So <laughs> kudos to you there on that one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know. That was, it was, it, we, we got, we got, you know, people love it or they, they completely hate it. And that's uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. When you were, uh, I'm always been curious with people who like do their sequel to the original movies too. When you did LLC, the first one, was there a sequels in mind? Was there like an overarching story in mind when you did that first one? Okay. So yeah, this, this is how it went. It was uh, when I originally wrote out the story for the original Hell House I didn't think I was going to go found footage at first. I thought I was going to try to make an actual narrative feature shot okay. visually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote out all this backstory, all this this stuff about the cult and all the stuff yep. that would be told 
a little bit through some exposition that you can only film narratively. You can't really do that in found footage. So when we switch to found footage, and there's so many reasons we switch to found footage. I mean, hey, like some of his budget, some of it's like, we know we can't shoot this narratively, but a lot of it is like, I just like that style of movie anyways. And I wanted that to be the, the movie you make anyways. But then I lost a lot of the story. Uh, because there's so many things you just really can't tell through a found footage film. You could, you're only really subject, like, what is caught on film? And what can you justify as being filmed by an amateur? You know, and that's the only story you can really tell. Right. Um, and and so, like, I tried to get into a little bit on the doc side of that film. But a lot of the history was all written down there. And and I didn't, um, I, I, and so once Hell House came out and it started getting a little popularity, I was like, oh, maybe then, you know, if this gets, maybe I can finish, tell the story more and finish where I was going with it and, and, and get it and fill in some, some of the holes. And then, uh, so I wrote two and three, like together, uh, cool. right after that. So it was like a little bit of mix, like it wasn't planning on it, but I had a lot of story that didn't get presented in one. And so I just said, like, I, I can present more of the story by making two and three and, and get more of that. Mm -hmm. Because that's what it kind of feels like. It feels like they're very, very much is cohesion in those sequel movies. It's not like Halloween 1. If you watch Halloween 1, 2, 4, and then 5, and then the Cult of Thorn shows up, and you're kind of like, you know, it feels like that's yeah. kind of shoehorned in in some ways. And then you, some people, now we have timelines now, you know, and a lot of sequel yeah. movies do that. But with yours, it kind of felt like there's some cohort. Um, um, cohesion with that. And then, like, at the end of the Hell House LSE first movie, which I think is, excuse me, which is fucking crazy and awesome all at the same time. Um, just, I was like, I, I know there's something, like, quote-unquote demonic going on in the background. And, like, of course, it's going to be in a haunted house, right? Um, but it just feels so, like, the, like the, the danger and the, and the horror feels so real. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, oh, I hate to bring out that, those things, like, on YouTube. You, you know, people put out video essays of, like, events and isolated incidents and, like, do whole video essays on those things. Which I think video essays are cool for YouTube. And it gives you so much story and stuff. And there's so creat much creativity there. You felt like with your movie, it kind of blended that in. And then also tied this all, like you talked about earlier, like this what if factor of like, you know, otherworldly horror that's going on. And like, if you told me in the first 25 to 30 minutes of the movie, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I, if that's going to be that type of movie. And then the more and more of the movie came on, I was like, yeah, there's actually something going on and it doesn't feel like it's cheap scares. It's a very calculated, very kind of like meticulous, like you're not trying to scare us just yet. And I felt like you were like holding out a little bit yeah. and then you kind of got, you know, you, uh, some scene, I love it when horror movies and your movie did the same thing where it kind of goes unhinged, like midway through the movie and it teases that and then it goes away and then it comes back later on. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, like, you know, just sinking my teeth in a little bit more. Yeah. So I don't know where, I, maybe that was the exorcist piece of that, you know, when uh, Reagan becomes to slowly transcend um, and you're thinking like, what the hell is going on? And then you're kind of waiting for that final confrontation. If, <laughs> I, I, I like a slow burn. I like I like setting up, and I like taking my time to set up instead of, um, uh, you know, just like hitting hitting the audience over the head from the get go, which is fun. It can be fun, and I think uh, your first act, you got to do something um, big. But uh, what I like to do is spend the first act setting up a mystery enough mm -hmm. to get the audience just to lean in and say, "Hmm, okay." Go on, I'm interested. I'll, I'll, I'll see where this is going. Um, and I just, I, I think that's so much. I think that makes, um, as an audience member, it's fun when you're trying, when you're presented with this, like, what the hell happened? And and that's what the first act it, it does in Hell House. Just it just shows like something messed up happened. We don't know what it was. 
let's come with us on, uh, through his acts, <laughs> second and third acts and find out what happened with us. And you, and you gotta uh, and hook them into that. And that, that's what was fun about writing it. It's just like, it, the whole thing about those like Dateline mysteries of like, you just, it's a mystery. And, and it's fun to try to figure out what happened. And, and when you write these movies, you can just create any mystery you want. And it looks grounded in reality somewhat because we've, we know that things like this have happened before, like these chaotic events that are caught by some amateurs video. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually something, you know, it's grounded, like there's a, like a fire breaks out and people are trying to get out or, you know, and, and that's what yeah. really the, the whole opening scene is based on a real life tragedy like that. that Was happened. it that bar or like that comedy venue that lit up and they were trapped in there? Is that? Yeah. Um, it's uh, from the, uh, I want to say the late nineties. Um, mm-hmm. There's a band playing in, in, uh, in Rhode Island and, uh, and their pyrotechnics caught on fire and, and, and everybody yep. and, and the thing about it was that nobody really knew at first mm-hmm. it wasn't mm-hmm. part of the show i feel validated because i i kind of was thinking about that throughout the movies like he must have saw the director at the time i was yeah. thinking the director yeah. he has to know that's that's awesome and so, yeah and, and and when i i saw that i don't know how that popped up in my youtube feed but it was like that someone had caught that whole thing on camera uncut um, when that fire started and the slow realization from people that like, oh, wait, oh, shit, this is not part of the show. We should get out. But it dawned on people at different times. And, not, mm-hmm. and that was the sad thing about it is a lot of people did not know that it, they were in danger. Right. Um, and and so and, and that was the whole thing. But like and that's a real world thing. And it's happened, you know, not just fires, but it's happened in many other instances as well, where mm-hmm. you're trapped and you have to get out. And and um, and so that was the whole uh, premise of the opening was kind of trying to gra- make something seem real life. But when you when you get behind the curtain, when you find out what was going on behind the scenes, you realize that no, it, it actually wasn't like something that we we can understand as like a fire. It's just something a lot more deeper and sinister going on, and that's what we learn later on in the film. But we present it as like this is something happened. It, it's messed up. We don't really know how it happened. Let's find out. Also, props to you. I love that. I, I you know, I think that's so cool, and it's like, you know. Oh. Just like like I said, I was thinking about that event, and I was like, you know, you you validate. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you. I yeah, just yeah, it's, I'm it, tapping myself on the back. I'm like, yes. I mean, yeah, no, but actually, you're right. But like, it, very few people ever caught on to that. And I think if you ever saw the video, you would actually think, oh, that must be where you got it from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a few people have reached out to me and said, like, hey, have you ever seen that video of that of that um, that bar um, fire? And uh, I would say, you know, it comes in because I have, and it was actually um, something that was in my mind when I was writing that that whole opening scene. Yeah. Well, you you know, you also have a real good tendency to like understand anxiety as well, because when that opening se- segment of like the craziness going on, I'm scared because it's like there's a bunch of people panicking and stuff like that. And I'm thinking like, what are they running from? And then it's like, well, actually, I'm more afraid of the chaos. Yeah, and it's and it's it's even different, more different than uh, in a haunted house, so than in anything else. Because <laughs> yeah. you just expect people to be screaming and running in different directions, and and like you would and you would never know something was off and that that's and and you're already in a such a claustrophobic area as it is and once people are starting to push in a mosh pit to get out then i think that's a lot of people's worst nightmare is being in a situation like that yeah and props to you for finding a very very scary walkway down to the basement as well those scenes <laughs> of like just the the walkway down to the basement well, that like, stuff is putting to find this is something to fit the script and and angie's place the the waldorf state of fear it, it really fit the script and when i met her she gave me a tour of that place and she had read <laughs> 
she read the script and she walked me around. She and she it was great because she's always like, you know, we can film this thing. You know that scene? This we can, ah, that's cool. we can do that scene here. And I'm looking around, I'm like, yeah, it works. It works. She's like, this will be two C. And I'm like, that could be two C. That works, You're right? Let's do it. That's and awesome. She showed me the basement, and I was like, oh, I don't know how we're ever going to film down here, but it's spooky. <laughs> it was like it was like. Uh, it was where they're, you know, most basements at old places, that's where they stored all their junk. So you go down okay. there, there's this like old furnaces and things, pipes, a bit, like, you couldn't even move down there. And I'm like, we film down here, but it's got to all get cleared out because we have to have like, there's going to be like 20 extras down here scrambling for their life. You know, a girl ch- chained up, clowns and mm-hmm. folks. And, um, and she did it. She got it all set and, and, it, was, and it, it worked out though. But the basement is so terrifying and i always hated having the film down there and we filmed down there in every movie and and every every new cast member and crew member that came on they was like they want like i want to see the basement and i'm like okay you're gonna see it but you're gonna have to be down there for a while you're not gonna like it (laughs) and they didn't and it was uh, a lot of people were did not like but everyone was a trooper though like in three um uh bridget abrams who uh played Mm -hmm. the girl who's taps she does the kiss she kisses the clown on yep. the pose and that scene uh you know she went to, she was down there by herself like, uh, doing that scene and uh you know and she did it and she did a great job with that but no that, one likes it it's such a such a gross scary place yeah that basement looks like the little epitome of like turn the light off in the basement and then like run up the stairs because you're afraid something's chasing you up the exactly. stairs as yes. a kid yep. exactly yep. what that feels yep. like <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah i i mean i don't know what's scary that or like the seance scene at the end of the second movie where they're like explaining everything and i'm like this is creepy um <laughs> it's like old new england kind of creepy yeah uh <laughs> but in the first movie, I got to know, like, did you all just like, you know, storm through a uh, 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 spirit of Halloween to find all these scary masks? Or like, did you have like requests to build these masks? Because like they're very unique with the, like the clown mask, and, like the demonic mask. You know, when I was in college, we actually had a haunted house. Um, unfortunately, this is the part where the Internet cancels me. I was part of a fraternity, but we weren't one of those fraternities. We were like the smart, you know, nerdy fraternity on the block. Um but we had a haunted house and we all worked together to like build the props and build the sets and the little segments for the each scare. And, um, you know, we would just like go to like Walmart and stuff like that and buy like scary, scary masks and stuff like that. And like, you know, rigmarole costumes and things like that. And I'm curious when, since your movie, it's one of those few where it's like outside of maybe something like hell, um, like Hellfest, you know, where everyone's dressed up in like Halloween costumes, which shout out Hellfest from 2018. Uh, I'm curious, like, do you create like your own like mask and like the get ups there? Or do you like find something and go, that's creepy as hell. I want to buy that. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a mix. So the main, the main scary uh mask with the clown mask yeah. um, that was created um mm-hmm. so uh we we had that made it was actually it was a it was a mask that was created for a different reason we repurposed it and awesome. I, I had like sketches um i concept art done for what i wanted the clown to look like and, oh wow really that is cool so you but, were like you were thinking like i need something scary as hell and yeah no i i knew i, I very specific what i wanted the clown to look like and it's very basic and that's the whole thing and i don't feel like clowns couldn't be scary you could do it the right way i think if you overdo a clown it's not scary anymore if you put it like the big nose and the crazy funky hair and uh, <laughs> then it's not scary anymore so um i want something very very basic and uh i was a, a really talented artist uh, gave me a few sketches of like what i explained and um and then i sent that to a mask maker a mask maker was going to make me something custom of, based on my sketches. And if anybody's listening and wants to see what the early concept art for the clown looked like, it's on my Instagram and it's on my, I think my Twitter feed as well. My, uh, uh, just Steve McCartney on Twitter. Um, 
follow him on Instagram to see these creepy clown things and then inspire inspire you for next year's Halloween costume. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so so they the guy sent me a mask like two days or no the day before we started shooting. He was like very unreliable. I kept on like I need this mask <laughs> soon. He's like I'll get and then he said um, I think he said something like like his studio flooded or something and the mask got ruined. It was basically like my doggy and my homework story. But uh, <laughs> then he sent me something. It was like unusable. It's just like as if he just like patched it together like the night before and, and mailed it overnight. And it was like and I, I just showed it to Angie. I'm like this is not useful. But like do you have anything that's like a little just like as blank as possible so that our our makeup artist can then take that and then make something based on our sketches. And and so that's what she did. She found something like she had like a silicone mask that really had no features or anything to it. And um, she took that to Lexa Ann Rosser's our makeup artist, the first one. And, and Lex added like, you know, the blood and the, and the black to the eyes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was more to our, it was exactly to our sketch. Uh, and so that, that's how that was worked. So that was more custom specific to the film. And a lot of everything else that's in the film is mo- mostly stuff that Angie had in her pond already. Like more oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so um, a few masks we bought for the from specialty places. Um, There's things that the um, the cloaks wear. Um, yep. But their masks, they were, they were specialty items that they were, were custom for um, uh, the, the movie. Uh, but uh, but a lot of the stuff that's going on in the haunted house itself is all props that were they were already wearing. That's awesome. And you know, besides how scary the movie looks with like the mask and like. You know, just like the the blank face, um, the characters. I always think about like the the light bulb scene where like it's it's flashing, you know, on and off, and then you see like the different, you know, ghouls like you know coming closer, moving on screen and off screen and such. And he's asking how many you know scary th- guys did we have in this hallway? Um, that scene, awesome. Uh, I gotta know. You know, like, where did you find the cast? Like, did you put, like, a casting call where there's some people, like, you personally knew that you wanted? Because it feels like everyone is very natural in that setting. Like I said, that's one of the strong seats I know for me and a lot of people who really enjoy Hell House LLC. It's the cast. Like, yeah, you know, no, it's, it, it, it's people I'm comfortable going through this, like, journey with and, like, figuring out what was going on. I think the popularity of Hell House um, comes from people like the cast. And I think they, in the cast, I think um, – is is so important to that film and the film success because i think they were great and that that was a very laborious casting process it's <laughs> the first time i actually really went out and cast i made some short films where i did like very limited casting though but this is the first time where we did days and days of like bringing you know men i can't remember how many people but like all day long new person coming a new person coming a new and it's just like doing that for days and days um until we whittled it down and um but yeah we put out a casting call and a lot of people answered it and, oh, cool. and uh, it was fun. And my, my wife, uh, she worked at the uh, Lincoln Center at the time. Okay. And so she gave us like a, uh, she she let it, like she finagled it some way that we were able to use a room at the Lincoln Center for auditioning. Wow. So, so it made us seem a little more legit than we were when we, <laughs> when we reached out to actors, be like, you're going to be coming to the Lincoln Center for your audition, sir. You know, like, wow. so I think, uh, you know, <laughs> To some people, like this seemed like a very low budget indie film, which is all it's ex- exactly what it was. Um, but then they got the email from me saying, Meet me at Lincoln Center for your audition. They're probably like, Oh, maybe this is a little higher end, but no, then it's just they get there. It's just me and uh, Joe Vendelli, my producer, um, with a like, little camcorder and uh, taping them, but uh, it, it, it whittling them down to those, those five main people. Um, Adam Schneider, who plays uh, Mac, um, he's a good friend of mine. He's been a good friend of mine for a while. Um, That's awesome. We've we made short films together, and 
Uh, he's acted in a lot of my stuff before that. So he was someone I always knew wanted to be a part of it. Uh, in, and I, I worked him into Mac. Um, Jared Hacker is another friend of mine. He plays, um, he uh, plays Tony. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a friend of mine, um, but I hadn't really thought I was gonna cast him in the film, but I, had, I asked him to come in and read with the other actors. Oh, cool. So I was casting, he was helping me cast his part. Like with a, so like I never considered him for that role. It's the whole Harrison Ford thing. It really, really is. And yeah. so uh, he's just, cause I know he's, he's a good improv actor and everything like that. So I'm like, Hey, um, uh, Jared, can you do me a favor? Just come in and read with the people that are auditioning. And he's like, sure. Yeah, come on in. So yeah, exactly. As that's going on, I'm like, you know, I, he can, he's really interacting with all these people very well. Like why, <laughs> why can't he be Tony? <laughs> and, and, um, so and then it was uh, Ryan Jennifer who plays Sarah and uh, Danny Bellini, Alex and uh, Gore Abrams who plays Paul. And those three were the three, <clears throat> you know, that uh, people that I didn't know that I auditioned. I, and they, we, they got called back and brought in. Mm-hmm. We, mm-hmm. we would like audition them together. I'd bring like uh, a few of them in to like talk to each other, like, like Alex and, and Sarah to audition in the same. You have to like do like chemistry reads and stuff like that. And, um, and then finding Diane and, um, uh, and also Jeb Krieger, uh, is another, uh, actor I've known, I did know, and I've worked with him before, uh, who plays the journalist and he's, he's an excellent actor. I, I wish I could, uh, have used him more though. Um, mm-hmm. cause he, he's like on doing like Netflix shows and stuff like that now he's in, he's in Punisher. Um, but, uh, so it, but finding that group and having their dynamic, was really important. So we tried to, I, I had them all go, when we drove out to the location to shoot, I made sure that they were all in the same car together. So, ah. um, and I told, uh, I told a uh, uh, hacker, uh, Jared Hacker, I said, make sure everyone, make sure you guys are playing some of those dumb car games to pass the time. And just like, <laughs> yeah, and just like get to know each other better. And you know, everyone gel. And then they, I think like they were already bonding by the time we got to the town, they were all having a great time with each other. And then they started hanging out all the time. So after, <laughs> after we got done filming for the day, they would go to the bar, the five of them get drunk together and hang out. And they were like, and they're really good. And they're still really close. That's the thing. Like uh-huh. five of them are good friends. And I know the Danny and uh, Gore are, are making a movie together and stuff. And um, so some good friendships have come out of that. And you're right. The cast is so important. I think Hell House's success really is a tribute to the five of them and how well they did on screen. Mm-hmm. Awesome! I, I'm so happy to hear that that because it felt like pretty genuine, and I feel like with a, I feel like a lot of movies kind of stand on their own besides what the movie's about because people enjoy the cast and the cast members, those characters, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot, especially I feel like when you do, and I mean I don't have to tell you because I know you know, but with like found footage films or POV films, that person behind the camera and the people that are involved that you're getting up in person with, you have to enjoy those people, or you have to like dislike them to the point where you just don't like you you love to not like them you know like those attitudes because it gives it becomes almost personal in a way you think about you know i feel like pov films like found footage films like that aren't as like popular now and i it it sucks because i think you know with your films i can't think of really other many films after the the first um you know the first three where that's still a thing where it's like you know, paranormal activity is not doing that anymore. They did something completely different. Now and went back in time. And then it's like, now you have the webcam, you know, POV yeah. movies now. And that's like the new trend. Um, and I think those uh, movies. Unfriended was, is that Unfriended? I thought Unfriended was yeah. awesome. I, I, yeah. And, all, I, and obviously um, uh, the other web that came out last year was, um, uh, I'm, wow, I'm 
blanking out. That was such a good movie. Um, yeah, I'll, th- I'll think of it before it's out there. Okay. But, I, but I love that John. And I think Unfriended was a, it was like the first of the webcams, right? Yep, Unfriended. And then they had Dark Web, which I actually think was a was a pretty good film too. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good, good scare, isn't it? Um, and, and then John Cho did Searching, which almost got him an Oscar nomination as well, which I thought he should have. I thought Searching in 2018 was a phenomenal webcam movie. I think that's just like, you know... Uh, you talk about like the exorcist stuff like that, you know, imagine, you know, you know, that movie eventually progresses to sort of like a wreck, a sort of like height, you know, jumping off like the shoulders of like the heightened of like, um, the zombie apocalypse trend of the time, you know, yeah. and they decided to kind of combine those things at once. And then, yeah. Um, that's awesome. Also with the, with your movie, I just think that, <laughs> I swear like the scenes where there's, um, almost like diary notes in that movie where they're the, the filmmakers is kind of like, you know, noting (laughs) almost like what happened on set that day. And then like, you think it's, you think about video games, right. And like, think about there's safe points. And in movies, sometimes I think there's scenes that are safe point scenes. Mm -hmm. And in this movie kind of, I thought that was going to be it, but then it's like, Oh wait, actually I'm terrified as hell because it's not safe anymore. There's something going on behind them and stuff like that. But then, I don't know, genius on your part, you don't advance it too much. You just let it be, and then you go on to the next day, and it's like, oh, thank God, we don't have to have a scare scene right now. So right. kudos to you, Steve, for that, because it's like it, it worked. You know, the buildup paid off for those. Oh, that's good. Yeah, thanks. It, that, 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 uh, you know, you never know if that's going to work or not, though. But uh, so it's always good. I'm happy to hear. Thank you for saying that, because it was – you go into these films and you're like, I don't know if this is going to sell, if it's going to work. Uh, these scares are going to pull off. Is this too long of a dragging opening? For tag, uh, so mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And then with two, it feels like such a mic drop at the ending. And especially like halfway through that movie. Cause it's like, I'm getting like, almost getting like a ghost story more than like a demonic, like, you know, haunted house movie. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of cool when sequel movies do that, you know, Think about Alien to Aliens and, you know, Predator, Predator 2. You know, it's not like almost like uh, figuring out what's going on and then the second movie's accelerated 100% and stuff like that. You do it a different approach where it's a little bit more methodic and it's a little bit more, like you said, world building in that sense. And then it, it, it feels like a ghost story. It feels like, you know, it doesn't feel like I'm actually at the same place anymore, but it, everything looks familiar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's very rare that sequels do that. I felt like you kind of nailed that. And not a lot of sequels do that. It's kind of cool. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. No, I, yeah. we, two was something, you know, if I had a mulligan, I would, I would want to do that over again. But um, but the, the actors were great. The crew worked their butt off. Uh, we, um, and it was just a, uh, there's something you try to do in there that, uh, that I m- might have been better if, uh, yeah, I think we had a few more extra days for filming or whatever, a lot of things like that. But um, I, what I wanted to do with two was um, show that they were like, kind of like make um, like a like a myth, like um, the uh, the folklore of the Abaddon, yep. like some small small little incidents that happened, and kind of tell almost like mini ghost stories within the greater ghost story itself. And it was just because I think there's that there's things like that in real life. Hey, you hear about that mansion at the the haunted like I heard someone like went in there and you know mm-hmm. and just like those little stories uh that you that you hear you're picking up a hitchhiker on the side of the road and, um those those kind of uh folklore tales uh i love and just try to implement a little bit into them into the world of the of the, of the hell house world so yeah i'll be honest when i was watching the second one i felt like 
you know, the, you know, the, I, at the time I was like, eh, the guy who's made this one again, I felt like he watched too many ghost adventures or go, you know, the, you know, the ghost adventure TV show on A and E or whatever, yeah, the travel yeah. channel. And he saw those and said, you know, screw that. That's just making money. I'm going to show them what actually would happen in those situations. And that's what it kind of felt like at times. And I kind of enjoyed that because I grew up watching that show and I always thought bullshit at the end, you know, because it's like, it, some parts are kind of creepy and the technology stuff looks really good but then it's like there's no like resolve there's nothing other than like you know runtime's over we'll see you next time and in this movie the second one um you know you kind of show that like you said with like little spit bits of like people entering and being terrified as hell and then they run out and then it's cut to a different segment and stuff like that yeah. and uh it's like yeah it's like you know what if they actually stayed and showed everything that actually happens and stuff like that and then I didn't realize you were trying to do something with like a folk tale. Like I do love the parts where you're interviewing people that are like near the Abendale Hotel. Like you go more into like the history of the actual building. Yeah. Almost like an Amityville horror movie at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably could have gotten a few extra bucks as well if you put Amityville in the front too. <laughs> Amityville, what a thirty-eight. Yeah, you know, right. the, you know, Hell House LLC, the Abin- and having a three part that would be kind of cool too. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I just realized the other day. Um, I did the 24 hour marathon, uh, at the music box. And one of the trivia questions at four in the morning was how many Amityville horror movies there were. And I didn't know there was more than four. So <laughs> there's 36 and counting two more at the end of this year. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking, you know, how can I get, how can I get, you know, filmmakers some extra money? I'm like, maybe make an Amityville movie. I think right, I get some money right. for that. Here it is. Yeah. It's right. right in front of us. <laughs> the whole time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But then it's like, I mean, I feel disingenuous in saying this, but like, you know, a lot of, you know, the trends with horror right now also have to con- have to like coincide, I feel like, with boutique labels and like physical media. And like Severin pulled out like uh, the folk horror box set that had recently come out um, that, you know, catalogs different folk horror movies from like the 60s, I think, all the way up through the 80s. Um, and I know with like Robert Eggerts and like the A24 movement with like the slow burn folk horror is becoming such a big thing and then you make this movie i had no idea that was the intention which i do believe because like you know the new england inspiration like especially the ending and stuff like that i felt like it was something predated horror and i think i don't know if you meant to do it or not and now i'm hearing you did i'm like you know kudos to you steve like that was that was pretty good you're ahead of the trend it's it's, it's kind of crazy almost to hear about that yeah no i don't think i've been ahead of <laughs> I, 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 just, I, I just make what I like the story that I like that I want to see myself and I want to hear and, and tell and, um, and and you know and some sometimes I, I might mistakenly fall into something a trend of some kind or, but uh, it's not not on purpose though but I just I just, I just make what I like well so tell me a little bit more about um, Lake of Fire which honestly you know was that based on the Johnny Cash movie or uh, song <laughs> Are you a big Johnny Cash guy? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. nothing against Cash. I, I, I like him, but no, it's not about, not about the, nothing to do with Cash. But um, uh, yeah, that, that was, I mean, so two and three were, were written together. So there's elements of two that set up three. And, yeah, okay, cool. Um, so, and, you know, they all tie back to one. And um, so, and I always knew that I wanted to end um, the third one on a kind of similar event to how one went down. And uh, so a big inspiration for three was um, Sleep No More, which is a a promenade theater, interactive theater, where you walk amongst the the, the cast of the actors on these huge... So Sleep No More is is an amazing thing. And and it's in New York and it's Macbeth. 
and you put on a mask and you are just walking through all these elaborate sets and the actors are just acting out this like really dark version of Macbeth and and they're going all around and you you can follow anyone you want and they go up and down and you, and you and the, the thing I loved about it is that they, I thought their sets were so elaborate and cool and creepy and when groups were following actors going through the cemetery to chase them off and go to another <laughs> set I would stay in the cemetery alone by myself because I was like now I can just like study the set and 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 be a creeper and uh <laughs> But like, so I just thought that was really cool. And so I, um, and I wanted, I wanted Insomnia to be, to be like that, to be kind of like interactive theater where, where participants are coming in, not just like another haunted house, that'd be something different. Why are we bringing people into the Abaddon? Who's, who's, you know, who's putting something in the Abaddon or like that. So three, mm-hmm. three was like kind of, um, it came from that real play that uh, I love and, and enjoy so much. It just like, you know, one has its inspiration in other areas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's awesome okay wow that's oh, i didn't you know put that down as like a new york list thing i had no oh, idea that sleep was no more is amazing if anybody's in new york you have to go to sleep no more it is absolutely out of this world it's just another it's just you'll never see anything like it that's so cool and it, I, I and it looks like you're working on a on a fourth film as well yes yes uh i've been away from it from it too long and i've always wanted to get back into the house world. And, you know, I've been working on that film, uh, eight, two, five, uh, force road for so long. Yep. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's in post and post is wrapping up. So it's, it, that's going to come out soon. But, um, uh, but while it's been in post, I've been just like, I want to get back to hell house, but I never really knew how to. And, um, uh, we were always thinking about doing like a prequel series, but we were never able to get the backing that we wanted for it. Um, so, I just said, uh, you know, obviously not doing anything in the Abaddon Hotel. That's a sequel because it's it's you know burned down, so that that yep. story's done. Um, but is there a way to tell the stories that I want to tell about the history, but not ma- without making prequels? So this isn't really a prequel. It's 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 set in in present time though, but it tells more of the story of the back end with starting a, like a with the original movie that's not related to um, you know Hell House or the uh, the Abaddon Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, th- so that's where this is, is going. So, um, we're going to shoot in the spring and, um, it will be out, uh, in October of uh, 23. Wow. Shoot in the spring and release October. That's awesome to hear. I mean, it's wow. a really good be- turnaround, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say you're busy. You're going to be busy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a found footage films. You can turn around a little quicker. Um, uh, this last, this last film, 825 Forest Road has been in post production for like 10 months now. So, um, obviously we got to turn it around a lot quicker than that, but, um, uh, you know, but hell house is a, will the hell house films are able to be turned around quicker because they're found footage and, and, and the, the way they're shot is, is, is a little bit more raw and supposed to have that raw feeling. So mm-hmm. it doesn't need all that, that post, uh, finesse and tweaking that you have to do with other films. But yeah, yes, I will be very busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear about this new film um, that you, you've been, you know, working on. I mean, when you do films like this, do you ever think about distribution? How do I get this movie out? Like, do you think, I mean, 2015, you know, streaming wasn't at the, the height it is now, you know? So like, were you yeah. thinking old school? Like, you know, I'm going to send out some DVDs and, you know, if it gets a following, maybe I'll do like, you know, cool stuff like VHS releases and like all that yeah. other thing. Or, you no, know, what I, was that like? Well, Hell House 1, yeah, that was like every other, every, every filmmaker has when they make their first film, like how, 
is this, how am I going to get it seen by audiences? And um, so I did the route of film festivals and just kind of, and then from there sending it around to distributors. And um, we got into two film festivals and it was a lot of fun. It's, it's a, a film festival called Telluride Horror um, Festival. And it's in, it's in Telluride and it happens, I think right before the big, or right after, it's right before the, right after the big Telluride, you know, the real big Telluride Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one's just like a horror film festival. And it is awesome. It is, cool. they have all these, like these, they have these two old historic theaters that are beautiful in downtown um, uh, at Telluride. And it's so much fun to screen your films. Like the town comes out, everyone's support, <laughs> and they get such awesome indie, good horror films at these festivals. And uh, every year, um, I follow the films that go there every year subsequent. It's such a good festival. So yeah, so the first time it was ever seen was at a, a it was at a, it was by, uh, it was at Telluride. And it was, that was, a, that was a, an amazing experience. And then we got distribution, um, uh, Terror Films picked up Hell House. And, and you know, it was just gonna get a standard digital release, you know, iTunes, Amazon, all the, yeah. all the platforms. And we'll see what happens from there. And then I think what I, what I think is like great about that is that it's, you know, anybody can, digital is great because you can find an audience and you don't have, you don't need the theaters anymore. And I never, never in a million years that I, I wasn't delusional. I wouldn't say like, Hill House is going to be like uh, the next uh, Blair Witch <laughs> and the splash at the box office. I was like, no, I know this is going to be, um, you know, a, a VOD release film. Uh but there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's, I, you know, I have kids. I, I never get to theaters anymore. I, I watch, <laughs> sadly, I, I, I miss it, but I, I'm always, I'm always, uh, you know, uh, renting everything, but uh, so there, there's the markets there and, and there's a way for indie filmmakers to find an audience is just going straight to digital. And that worked. And, uh, you know, Tara did a great job of making a trailer and getting it out to the platforms and getting it all out there. And, um, We've been working with Tara and all the subsequent films as well. Uh, so, and then two and three got um, picked up by Shutter, which was great. Mm-hmm. And this is also, and this fourth one is going to be a Shutter original as well. Wow, that's going to be cool to see on Shutter. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, this this film will be this film. I'm, I'm excited about that. I think uh, Hell House Four is. Um, it's, we don't call it Hell House Four. We call it Hell House Origins. Sorry, it's not it's not a fourth film. It's an origin <laughs> film, um, but. Uh, I am excited about the story because this is a story I've wanted to tell and I've wanted to make uh, this kind of found footage film. And I kind of always felt very like I was making a horror movie with like a hand or both hands typing on my back in two and three because I'm I'm in the Abaddon Hotel mm-hmm. for two subsequent movies trying to scare people different ways within the same setting. Um, and that was really tough in the writing process. It was like, you know, like I, I have a story to tell in two and three but I also have to make scares that are original and not like the first one, but we're in the same exact place. You know? So it was like, it was tough. And with, and with this uh, origins film, it's like a whole new story and a whole new setting. And I'm, I'm so, I was so excited about that. Just like, I'm like, I have like fresh piece of paper, you know, blank piece of paper and I could scare people any way I want to. And uh, with anything, I can do anything I want to right now. And it doesn't have to be confined to the Abaddon hotel specifically. So. Wow. I, I mean, yeah, I'm getting, my hands are sweaty. I'm like, Ooh, that sounds like good. It's like, let me just go hop on the streaming service right now. Watch a movie before I go to bed tonight. <laughs> yeah. But that's awesome. So, okay. You know, I said before recording, you know, we talked about like some film recommendation or move, you know, movies we're watching in October and stuff like that. 
so you have kids and you know you see you you stream a lot of stuff you're big on shutter which i mean makes me happy to hear too like are there some movies that you definitely recommend that maybe people have like slept on or movies you definitely see like on twitter like you know the twitter discourse of like movies that maybe are going under the radar and stuff you know for me you know, with kids, you know, I'm old, I'm, I'm an adult and I don't have kids, but like, I still watch like kids movies. And it's like, for me, I love watching Hotel Transylvania one and two. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like good stuff. And I've heard like the Goosebumps movies by, um, oh, yeah. by, um, Eli Roth, I hear are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know, do you have anything like recommendations like that? And I think with like Under the Radar, because I think it gets trashed on too much, but like, you know, people need to go watch or rewatch The Monsters by Rob Zombie. I'm a big fan of that. I think that's like, embedded yep. in some sort of kids enjoyment in some ways <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, well the kids were, yeah i did actually show my six and four year old their first you know horror movie it's it's a kids horror movie it's animated and it was called um, monster house um yes and good man yeah i think they came in like 2009 or something like that or something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'd never heard of it i was just looking for something and it was funny though because i actually caught it on its last day on netflix <laughs> Uh, yeah. Because I watched half of it on Netflix, and then the next night we went back to finish it with my kids, and I was like, "It's not on Netflix. Where did it go? It just disappeared." Like the, ne- the very next night, dis- so we found it again. I think it was on. I think actually we found it on Hulu to watch the rest of it on Hulu with you know commercials and everything. But that, mm-hmm. um, but that, I thought that was really well done. Yeah, a little, um, I think there's some like un like kind of un PC things that are going on there. That's like eh, I don't think you can maybe not say. <laughs> Uh, but uh you know but it was it had i think it's a good intro it has very good introductory scares for kids um yes and to get them like into and i thought i think they did a good job of like painting the season too like they animated it but like it just it was a very fall halloween feel animated wise and i thought it was done really well and it was fun it was a great introductory uh, film for my six-year-old particularly Hey, well, you know what? You're A-OK in my book because I love Monster House. That's an annual watch movie. Yeah, I think creepy, for me, yeah. Yeah, creepiest old guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think the big thing for me is like, that's a movie that tells me you don't have to, you know, like I think everyone goes through that kind of mindset, especially this is Halloween, you know, when we're recording, where we're putting this out is, uh, you know, people maybe kind of get worried about dressing up because they feel like they're too old or too cool to dress up now. And that movie kind of reaffirms, like, if you love this thing, then, like, surround yourself with people who do like those things and, like, have the confidence and to be yourself. And it's like, I like that, you know? And it's like watching that movie every year since I was, since that movie first came out. I was like, yeah, I feel good about myself and, like, around this season, you know? I don't have to yeah. apologize to anybody. No, so. you shouldn't. I, I read a tweet recently, someone saying, um, they said like, uh, don't if someone if someone comes to your door, you're not going to go for candy at Halloween, and um, you know you, it looks like there's like teenagers that look like they might be like a little too old to be like like let them go like like this why they're just having fun trying they're hanging on to their childhood it's such an innocent thing people should just enjoy it no matter how old you get Halloween is everybody's holiday and you're never too old for it and it's just it's just great yeah I, I love it and I love that. Um, you know, people just still get into it. I think the thing about Halloween is that it's not going away. I think it's only getting more powerful mm-hmm. uh, every year. I feel like it's just the celebration is getting bigger. I feel like people's decorations are getting more elaborate and 
And I love that. I love that it's not something that's just like trending downward. Like uh, people aren't really in, like decorations aren't really coming out. I think it's going the opposite way. I think <laughs> more and more into it every year. And I love that because it is the best month of the year um, for so many reasons, but also just for the scares. But uh, I, I love it. And I love that it's just uh, people's, yeah, it's just growing. I feel like it's as a, a season and uh, a holiday, it just keeps on getting better and bigger. Yes. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. That I 100% agree with you on that. I think you, you nailed it on the head. It's only getting better. And I saved it with horror. I feel like horror as a genre is, I feel like it, or I feel almost like going to golden age. You can put something out and it can catch an audience and it could catch a following and then you never know what's going to happen with it. And, uh, you know, if you're going to keep making movies that were like those Hell House LSC movies, you know, it's like, I'm going to be watching. And I know a lot of people are going to be watching. Cause like, I mean, again, those movies still get talked about. Um, you know, it sounds like you have kids and stuff like that, but like, you know, there's a following in that loves these movies. And I, like I said, I think it, it came out at a really, really good time. Mm. And I think that's why it kind of sets itself apart from a lot of other movies too. Um, Thanks for saying that. And this is, it's not a sequel for sequel's sake. There is a story to tell here. We, um, that I've, I've been wanting to make for a while and now I have the opportunity to make it. So um, I, I know a lot of people are kind of like, Oh, like another one of these films, another like of the, like another paranormal, another this and that. But uh, I, I never would really want to get into that. I wouldn't make another Hell House unless I, I didn't think there was something there to tell and good that people enjoying something original. And I think that's why like sequels, I think sometimes people forget, like sometimes the people who come back and like do those things are because they're trying to tell more, you know, the freedom of the first, the, the success of the first movie grants freedom to whatever the original intent was in some ways, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I think sometimes people forget that with sequel movies. Um, yeah. yeah. But no, Steven, Hey, I really appreciate, you know, those words, you know, giving insight in those movies for me, like movies that like I tell my friends after I watch them, like, Holy crap. I get like, go watch this movie. I haven't seen and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, for me to hear you and talk about things like that, I think it's like I get to watch this movie in a whole different lens now. And I really think that's really cool. I'm excited to hear about the new stuff that are, are coming up. Um, I don't know. For some reason, when I watch the uh, Hell House movies, now, I'm going to think like the guy he's making is like he's probably watching Jurassic Park in like the background while he's making the, while he's like, <laughs> making this movie and stuff. And it's like, I don't know why, but that sounds awesome. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was, uh, I, no, horror has always been uh, a favorite genre of mine. And uh, I, I grew up reading Stephen King. So uh, that's the thing. And I, that's another influence. I really forgot to, to tell you. I, I knew as we're winding down, I'm just going to throw out my one, one last influence. I love everything Stephen King. Um, it's always been my favorite. Uh, I'm, I'm that kid in grade school sitting there with a giant 1200 page book, <laughs> book of the stand the, un the uncut version sitting there i remember at seventh grade just like taking that giant bible-sized book and plopping it down my desk and like in, in, in between classes and reading that uh, loving every second of it uh, yeah <laughs> do you okay so are you big on the stephen king movies though are there a few like movie adaptations that like you're like yeah, these are some of my favorites. Well, I mean, Mike Flanagan, I think, kills it, uh, crushes it, uh, you know, and I think the, uh, the well, we're talking sequels, I, you know, I think uh, Dr. Sleep was awesome. I mean, the, 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 for sequels, you know, King doesn't write a lot of sequels, and for that, that was an excellent uh, sequel of a book that I loved, and I thought Flanagan uh, did an amazing job uh, telling that story visually. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, I know, but I know when it comes to Stephen King movies, they're very hit or miss. And the reason is that because there's such elaborate, long stories that don't translate to film, it's so hard to, to take a six, 800,000 page story 
and put it into what you need to do like a 90, 95 minute movie. Um, mm -hmm. So I, uh, I think there's a reason to that. It's, there's just some, some things that are better left told in words in a book. And when you try to adapt it, it's just not going to work out. And I think the, uh, the, one of the biggest examples of that is the one with, uh, uh, what, what's the movie with uh, uh, Tim Oliphant uh, in the snow with the alien? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I actually, I, I love that book, even though, you know, he's, yeah, I think he said he was like on drugs when he, when he wrote it, though. But they tried to make that into a movie. Uh, and it just, um, uh, you know, it, it didn't work out. And it's like, this isn't a movie. Um, and I th also think that when they made uh, Under the Dome into a series, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I appreciate. It. I think I think I liked what they were doing in that series, but I it, it didn't. I, I know it got a lot of ridicule though. But it's just Under the Dome was just an amazing book. It's what is it? It's like seven hundred pages long. Um, so you know, it's just, there's a lot of things that just are, don't fit visually when they're just they're just they're better left in novels though. But um, but some of them like some of them crush. You know, like Pet Cemetery was awesome. You know, and uh, you know I think I think the you know The Shining was was different. I know it was like they yep. they they had their they their budding heads their budding heads a lot on it though. And and if you told it you tell The Shining the original way that King wanted it, you have the Stephen Weber version, which is a lot different uh, from the Kubrick version. But um, but uh, you know I think it it it's it, you know it's, it all depends though but uh, some of them they do get right and Flanagan I think did a great job and I think I think it's getting I think it's getting better now um, in the last few movies that have come out uh, from King um, and it was the HBO had that series that was uh, um, of one of his uh, I don't know it was a novella uh, the uh, in the the stand I think they did on HBO oh, the, the, no the stand was a recent one I didn't I didn't actually see the stand remake because that was on. Uh, some channel I do not have, uh, some subscription service or, uh, you know, mm -hmm. one of those plush channels of something. Uh, yeah. I have not seen the reboot of the sand. Have you seen it? No, I have it, but I heard like a lot of people were following it because okay. it did, you know, come out recently. Um, I think I can only really think of for, for Stephen King. The most recent thing was Dr. Sleep. I, I can't think of anything relatively new. I know, <sighs> I don't know. HBO had a Stephen King series, um, I think about two years ago, and it was fantastic. It was more of something, um, uh, it was a mixture of horror, though, but it was a really popular series. I'm, I'm blanking on names tonight. It's just too, too late. You got me past 9 p.m. in my time. It's like, I, I'm not, not going to remember my kids' names right now. But, um, anyways, but yeah, I think King's stories are being done better now than they had been in the past in the, in the 2000s and uh, in, in the 90s. Um, they're being adapted better and they're put, put into series, which I think is better. I oh, yeah. Speak, I can't speak to the stand because I haven't seen it. Um, I remember being a kid in in the '90s, dreaming that I would be the one chosen to get to remake the Stand uh, later on, <laughs> um, and and I remember being just so disappointed, like, oh, they're making it again. I guess my my uh, and nobody called me, so I, <laughs> um, I guess my dream was dead though. But I that's I always dreamed about making the Stand. Uh, that was my favorite book growing up, and uh, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I think the the you know, um, Gary Sneeze and uh, Molly Ringwald, uh, mm -hmm. ABC thing was good, but it's on ABC. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's water. There's so much you can do with that. And, you know, Mick Garris is Mick Garris. I, I love him. <laughs> Everyone loves him. Um, but, um, 
yeah, just felt like if you made it more gritty, more true to the to the book, and you did it, it was like ten episodes on like HBO or something like that. It could be so much more. And for all I know, maybe the new series was so much more. I just haven't seen it because it, it was it was on some subscription service that. Um, yeah, like it was Dish. weird. What it, it was like Dish on. or something like. Uh, I, I don't it know. felt like one of those like Discover Plus, Discovery yeah, Plus. You have to have yeah, like one other subscription to have access to it or something. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe they'll license it out to more services. It would go to Amazon Prime or maybe even Shutter will pick it up. But uh, mm-hmm. I but I would like to check it out though because that is still to this day my favorite book of all time. He's my favorite author of all time easily. So. That's awesome. The more I start to talk to people like about horror movies, it's like it's always synonymous with Stephen King. Um, so that's awesome to hear. Yeah. But uh, Stephen, hey, thank you so much for giving me the time and giving us the audience like a chance to listen to you talk about this uh, the awesome movies you created and some movies that you know we all love and you know give some insight into that. I think it's different when like, talk to people who are just fans of movies and the people who make movies. You know, there's always a little bit. There's always some similarities, but there's always a little bit of difference. You know, in, yeah. in perspective, and I think that's always really cool. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Um, Steven, if people want to see what you're doing and, and check you out and your other stuff, where can people find you? Do you, you know, I know you're on Twitter and I, you have yeah. an Instagram now. <laughs> well, no, I, the best place to find me what I'm doing I, is, is Twitter. I, you know, Instagram is more of like a, um, if you want to see cute pictures of my kids, go to Instagram. <laughs> if you want to know what's going on in the world of what I'm making and doing horror wise, Twitter is where they find me. <laughs> That's right. So you, you could check out Steven. Um, on Twitter as well, you can find him. Uh, I think it's at Sax JCO5, Stephen Cognetti um, on S-S-S-S-J-C-O-5. Twitter. JCO5. That's just my initials, O5. So I'm my, my handle is just so clever. Um, I don't know where the O5 came from. I guess O1 through 4 was taken. <laughs> <laughs> the next number in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but if you want to follow Stephen, I highly recommend you check him out um, on there as well. He's got two big projects coming out next year as well. So make sure to check him out there um, to find those things. Uh, I know Hell House LLC 1 through 3 are on Amazon Prime. And you can watch them on Shudder, I believe, as well. And they are on Tubi. Uh, so shout out to be as well for, you know, carrying the streaming services with awesome content as well. Yeah, uh, but Steven, thank you so much for coming on um, as well. If uh, anybody who's listening to this, your first time listening to this episode, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can follow us on Twitter at SequelPod, um, as well as you can email the show for any recommendations or, you know, just any fan mail. You know, we always love to hear read the, some of those things as well. Uh, you can email us at SequelPod at gmail.com. If you want to follow me, Chris, I am on Twitter as well at Hurtastic underscore Chris. Follow the YouTube channel at Hurtastic Reviews as well. Um, but other than that, um, what's your favorite you know found footage films if you have any recommendations we didn't get to talk on you know definitely uh, post it on twitter as well we'd love to see those as well um, but other than that if you aren't watching found footage films in october are you really caring about cinema also thank you all for following um, the show during the month of october uh, it was a lot of fun to have awesome guests including you steven um, and we hope to see you next month as well but other than that everyone have a spectacular halloween and we'll see you next time